Welcome to Virtual School Assembly. I'm your host, Tyler Christensen. I'm a productivity speaker, author, and classroom teacher. Here at Virtual School Assembly, I interview Hollywood celebrities, professional athletes, Olympians, speakers, and educators who share messages of inspiration, education, and hope to better prepare you for an ever-changing and uncertain world. Thanks for joining us. Let's get started. Welcome back to Virtual School Assembly. Today, our guest is Ross Katz. Ross is a producer, a content creator, and a filmmaker. As a producer, he's twice been nominated for the Academy Award for producing In the Bedroom and Lost in Translation, winning a Golden Globe for the latter. In 2009, Katz expanded into writing and directing with HBO Films, Taking Chance, starring Kevin Bacon. He was the recipient of the DGA and WGA Awards, and Kevin Bacon won the Golden Globe for that film. Ross's first job in the movie business was as a grip on Reservoir Dogs, and we'll get into that in a minute. In addition to Quentin Tarantino, he's lucky enough to work with Ang Lee, Oliver Stone, Sidney Pollack, before starting his own filmmaking journey, and he's recently launched Sui Generis Films, a production studio. So that's a long introduction there for you, Ross, but we are so thrilled to have you on the show. Welcome to Virtual School Assembly. It's great to be here, and hello to all the viewers. So we were talking a little bit before we started rolling about kind of your journey into Hollywood from suburban Philadelphia. Do you want to recap that a little bit about just yeah. how you got to Hollywood in the first place? You know, a lot of, I, I had the same fear um, that I think most people have, which is Hollywood movie making. I mean, my, my, I come from a working class family that is not wealthy, um, has worked very hard their whole lives at difficult jobs. Um, but we had no connections in the film business at all. And so it, it is a myth that you need a connection or, or a, a network or a favor from a friend to get in what you need is a spine of steel a willingness to be rejected nine out of ten out ten times and um a willingness to work harder than you've ever worked in your life i mean an average day is a a a non-overtime day is 12 hours um and I, uh, I just, since I was a little kid, I wanted to make movies. And I uh, told my parents I was going to drive cross country and rent a room and see what I could do. And they didn't have any money to give me. So they were supportive, but they were very nervous. Um, my brother was on a different path going to Stanford undergrad working in Bill Clinton's Department of Justice and then Yale Law School. So I was the black sheep of the family. Um, And what I did when I got to uh, LA was I I didn't really know what to do. Um, So I I made a resume uh, which didn't have much on it because I had no experience and uh, Reservoir Dogs called me and offered me an internship and I was thrilled. And my, I remember my mom saying $50 an hour, that's a lot of money. I said, no mom, 
it's $50 a week for a six day week. Um, and she was like, that, that, that's not even minimum anything in any country, you know? Um, but it was, it was, you know, uh, I, I don't, uh, I'm not down on film school, but I, I do think there are some, some issues in that, um, you can learn a lot about film history, but then you graduate and you've spent several hundred thousand dollars that you're going to spend the next 25 years paying off. And they haven't given you a roadmap of what to do. And the thing is, is that, um, a lot of times when students come from the, the more expensive film schools, there is an expectation that they're going to land in Los Angeles or New York and people are going to come after them. Not true. They don't care. Um, you know, I've done everything from get coffee to pick up dry cleaning to, you know, you name it. Um, but I did it with enthusiasm and I did it with a lot of humility because all I wanted to do was tell stories. And, and one of the things that I, that I would say is that, um, you know, one of the things I love about the iPhone or Android or where we are technologically, when I was, uh, in the early nineties, when I was starting you needed real money to make a film, you know, um, because even if you shot on 16 millimeter instead of 35 millimeter, you're still talking thousands and thousands of dollars. Um, but then you have a movie like Tangerine that came along a, about two years ago that was shot entirely on iPhone. You have Steven Soderbergh who shot a film on iPhone. Um, and I think that if the technology was available when I was younger, I would have told stories with my phone because actually you can get it. You can actually make a high definition professional sounding and looking film on an iPhone. If you just on Amazon for 20 bucks, get an attachment microphone um it, it it has democratized filmmaking and so it if you are a uh from a poor family in the bronx or a family from wherever and you don't have any connections telling your story is what pe people want to people want to hear they want to they want to know who you are and so even if it's just for fun and it's just with friends, um, you know, on, on any Apple computer, uh, there is, it comes built in iMovie. Um, you can teach yourself. Anybody can teach themselves how to edit on it. I'm very slow at it, but you don't need, you used to have to have an editor and an avid and a, but now you, you, you need access to a laptop, you need an iPhone, you need a microphone, and you can make a movie. Yeah. Are you jealous of kids today? Because it's, it's so, it really is so easy. Like, 
my daughter published her first book as a 10 year old and my son's doing his first YouTube video right now because he had an idea, he wants to put it out. And just like, as you suggested, he didn't know anything about te technology, but he has a phone. So he just shot the video and then I'm helping him edit it. That's and great. he'll have a YouTube video. It's amazing. I wish we had this, you know, 20, 30 years ago. It would have been yeah. so much easier. I, you know, I would say the, the only, um, my only uh, regret I would say about digital technology is because uh, b before the Alexa and, and, and really high quality 4k, 2k, 4k video was available um, in order to get the money to shoot on film, your script had to be really good. Right. And I find that because people can shoot so easily, sometimes they pay they pay less attention to the script. They say, "We'll figure it out when we're shooting." Hmm. But the script is the most important thing. Yeah. So, what did you do in the early days to to work on those kind of skills? That you didn't just move to Hollywood and and hope that something would happen. How did you start developing those skills so that you could write movies? I. I I, I was like a sponge. I, I, every opportunity I had to, to, uh, and sometimes I got shot down, but I would say to, uh, the producer of, uh, where I was a, an assistant, you know, getting coffee. Um, could I listen in on this notes meeting? Hmm. And a lot of times they would say, yes. And I would sit there and I would hear them, the director and the writer and the producer debating about whether or not a scene is emotional enough, whether or not a scene highlights an actor enough, all that. And I took note, tons of notes. And it was like, that was my film school. Mm -hmm. um, and, uh, and then, you know, when I, when I went to work with Sidney Pollack, who, who passed away several years ago, but was a wonderful man, you know, every chance that I got, most of the time I was making copies of, of scripts, you know, hmm. um, but every chance that I got to have a conversation with him, I asked him about, you know, I did my homework. I watched every one of his movies and I asked him, how did you do this shot? How did you decide on casting? How did you and Robert Redford get together? How did you, you know, things that like you just don't get, you right. know, and he, he was wonderful about it. Um, and, and so I think that anybody who has a real dream of being a filmmaker just has to know, one, don't let your lack of connections, network, nepotism, friends and family in the business, don't let that get in the way. Right. Um, uh, it's, a, it's a big mistake to say, oh, I don't, I don't know anybody out there. I don't, you know. Um, two, you have to, and, and I can't say that I was emotionally prepared for this, there is the downside is there's a tremendous amount of uncertainty. There's a tremendous amount of fear and there is, um, uh, it's very unpredictable. 
And so you could find, I found myself, oh my gosh, I worked on Reservoir Dogs, then I worked on Buffy the Vampire Slayer, then I worked on, uh, worked for Sidney Pollack. Then I was out of work for nine months. I couldn't get anything. There were no assistant job, nothing. And it was, uh, it was very hard. It was very hard. And um, you, you have to prepare yourself for battle. Like you got to be in it. There are a lot easier ways to make a living. But if you're really a storyteller and you want to tell stories and, and use this medium, you fight for what you want and you go through the hard times. Now, I, I think there's some interesting parallels right now with your journey in Hollywood and what you just explained as far as the uncertainty and what we're experiencing as a world right now with this pandemic. Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, I, I think moving forward, a lot of traditional jobs and traditional careers, they're changing. And so our, our entire future is uncertain. So I think what we need to do is learn from the things that made you successful in Hollywood. And we can apply that in other areas. We know that there's going to be nine month periods where things don't work out. And so what I'm interested in is what did you do? I mean, obviously that, that had to have been depressing and, and frustrating to not get jobs when you wanted and not to climb the ladder as quickly as you wanted. What did you do in the meantime? So you were ready when the next break came or the next opportunity presented itself. Um, I, I'm honestly, I spent a lot of time very depressed. Um, and temping hmm. uh i you know i went to a temp agency and i would get two days here and three days there and i maxed out all my credit cards and you know um but one of the, but i but i did manage to um during those down times to sort of force myself to write you know, um, and say like, oh, this is never going to get made. Oh, this is terrible. Oh, all the fear, the self-doubt. The... And the thing is, inevitably, there is going to be a person, you know, there, there's some very harsh people in Hollywood. Um, there's going to be an agent or someone that tells you your script is terrible. You're not a good writer. And what you have to do is you have to fight the temptation to stick the script in the drawer and lock the drawer because it's one person, it's one person's opinion. Take what's constructive, take what is informative and let it go because there are, hundreds of stories. I mean, one of the movies that I made in the bedroom was made for under $2 million. Everybody in the world said, no, we couldn't get a dollar for that movie. We found one company that decided to take a risk and that's all it took was one. Yes. And the movie made got five Academy award nominations um, and it was a big box office hit and it was a dark, very heavy adult drama. Um, and it was a real lesson for me that the, the, 
you know, the two words that I think of the most are tenacious and I guess I would say perseverance. That if this is real, like I had no B plan. My parents used to say to me, well, what are you going to do if this doesn't work out? I didn't know. I didn't, I didn't have that like, okay, well, I'll go back and I'll go to law school. I didn't, I, the desire wasn't there. And the other thing that I would say is that with the advent of social media and, you know, popular YouTube personalities, there's a little bit of a misconception. I would say a, a, a little bit of a, um, it paints a false picture in that it makes it seem easier than it is. Um, the fact of the matter is to, to get to make a movie as a producer, a writer, a director, an actor, it takes, you got to roll up your sleeves and work like you have never worked in your life. And what I say to people is if you don't have a fire in your belly that says, I have to do this, then don't do it. Pick something else. But I'll tell you something else when you have that fire in your belly, the first time you see your name up on the screen, it's the greatest feeling in the world. Yeah, I bet. It's the greatest feeling in the world. Now, earlier, I, I want to point something out because I think some of the kids watching this, you mentioned that you didn't really have a fallback plan and you didn't really know what you're doing going forward, which is fine, but I, I think it's important to recognize the work that was happening at the same time. You can pursue your dreams and go all in on it if you're willing to pay the price. And we talked exactly. earlier about like with Reservoir Dogs, how you're sitting at Kinko sending faxes to what, 70, 80 different movies. Yeah. You know, most and rent, rent, renting, renting a room for $175 in a crummy apartment. Uh, I mean, it was scary. It was, it was a big leap. But the other thing that I learned was that and I just thought about this the other day. I had, it's not something that was like conscious. It was just a friend was asking me. The only successes I've ever had have been when I have taken an enormous risk. Hmm. When I've risked, like in 1996, I was working for Sidney Pollack. And there was crossover with Ang Lee because of a movie called Sense and Sensibility. And I was working on that. And the company that worked with Ang said, why don't you come to New York and learn how to make movies? And they said, you know, your comfortable salary, you know, at this point I had been with Sydney for three years. And for me, it was like, wow, I'm getting like a real salary and health benefits and I have a car and, you know, um, they said, we're going to pay you ridiculously low. Uh, you're going to be broke, but we're going to give you responsibility that you are totally not qualified for. And you're either going to sink or you swim. And they threw me in to the deep end. And, you know, I would go home, I would have anxiety and, and, and I'm, I'm not going to make it. I'm, you know, because they were giving me 
like really important things to do, producerial things to do and saying, figure it out, you know? And I am so grateful. I'm friends with the three guys that ran the company. They all do different things now uh, in film. Um, And I got to work on the ice storm and I worked with people like Todd Solons and just really, you know, Ang Lee is one of the best of the best. And until I, my confidence was built up enough to go out on my own. Um, But the, the, the sort of their, their motto was very much, you know, DIY, you know, you don't know it, then figure it out. Find somebody who does know it, pull them aside, say, Hey, can you help me with this? Can you, do I need a contract for this? Do I, you know, and, and I, they were insistent that you don't learn either the quote creative or the production, you know, a lot of times Hollywood wants to divide up the two into the people who are in rooms writing and the people who are lifting heavy equipment. And the philosophy of the company that I came from was you need to know how to do all of it. And I'm really grateful for that. So can I dig into that for a second? Because as we see how kind of your career has progressed from kind of interning as a grip on Reservoir Dogs to now kind of interning as a producer with Ang Lee and before you eventually got your your own shows and your own movies, it, it sounds like you've had unofficial internships all along the way, um, which most Every people time. say that's invaluable. How can I make that happen? Well, it sounds like you just made it happen. So how is it that people would come to you and say, are you ready for this greater responsibility? Um, how did you get into those positions where you could start kind of interning without anyone formally offering anything or without you applying for it, just being there? Well, I will tell you that, um, you know, it sounds corny, but it's absolutely true. Enthusiasm, like, I'm not talking about like, oh, this is exciting. I'm talking about like living, breathing, eating, drinking, sleeping movies. Mm-hmm. Enthusiasm and genuine passion can make up for any degree that you don't have, mm-hmm. any experience that you don't have. You'll fumble. You'll, you'll fall down. You'll be embarrassed. You might get yelled at. But you get back up and it's worth it. And the, the way, the way that I managed um, the uncertainty and the fear was by, you know, I would be on the 13th hour. I would be so exhausted. I could barely walk. And I had to go get a cappuccino for an actor, you know, and I would show up with that cappuccino with a giant smile on my face Hmm. and say, is there anything else I can do for you? And the actor would say, Oh no, it's late. You should go home. And I would say, no, it sounds like you need something. Well, I could use. And it was that Hmm. it was that hunger to please was not about pleasing people. It was about think of me differently. I'm not just another guy 
coming through the system, you know, bringing over the coffee, picking up the dry cleaning. I'm a guy that like on the very few off hours that I have at home, I'm watching things on the Criterion channel. I'm learning from the great, great filmmakers. I'm learning, you know, I'll watch a, a, a Christoph Kislowski film, a Stanley Kubrick film. Uh, and then I'll go and I'll, I'll read everything I can about how the film was made, you know, mm-hmm. and start to, it, it, it's like a, it, it's an informal university. Right. Which I, I think is critical. I, you know, obviously as a school teacher, I want kids to get an education, but education yes. means that you're learning. It doesn't necessarily mean you're going to college or doing these other things. It means that you're instilling habits into your life where you soak things up, you become a sponge and you learn everything you can. I mean, that's why I'm talking to you right now is because exactly what you've talked about, I've applied to creating this channel. And that's how we connected is I was hustling. I was that's learning how I could. And so this, this skill that you're talking about of, of hustling, of, of going the extra mile, of serving and doing everything you can, even when you're tired, that applies to any occupation, any facet of life. I, I love what you're talking about. Absolutely. Here. Absolutely. Yeah. And I think that you, when you, when, there are, you know, I worked with people who, who th- thought that, thought of the glamour of the movie business. Mm-hmm. Don't think of the, if you, if you're interested in the glamour or the social media aspect of it, you're dialing the wrong number. It's, incredibly unglamorous i don't know what if that's a real word but but it is not glamorous you are sweaty you are exhausted but let me tell you something you get up at 4 30 in the morning you trying to get that first cup of coffee down somehow at six o'clock at night something that was just words on a page that came from someone's brain is now a living, breathing piece of film. And you go, Oh my God, we created something. And it is, it's, it's euphoric. Yeah. Now you've had a number of huge hits uh, in your career with in the bedroom, lost in translation and other projects you've worked on. Do you have a favorite moment, like when you saw it on the big screen or at an awards ceremony or anything like that? Do you have something that kind of stands out as, man, that was like the moment where I knew it was all worth it or anything like that? I mean, there's, there's a lot because um, I've gotten to work with, I, I've been lucky enough to work with some of the finest actors around. Um, I, I will say uh, I borrowed money for a tuxedo to go to the Oscars um, as a nominee for in the bedroom. Wow. Um, and I rode in the elevator and was just me and Sidney Poitier. <laughs> and I'm not, I'm the last person to walk up to someone and say, can I have an autograph or can, but I just thought, Oh my God, this guy changed he didn't just change movies. He changed America. Right. Um, Unfortunately, the kids watching this don't even know who you're talking about. And you'll, you'll, you will fill them in. Yeah. Um, but I just turned to him 
very shaky. And I, I said, Mr. Poitier, thank you so much for what you've done for all of us. And he was so kind and so generous. And I'm sure everybody in the world asks him, you know, asked him for a handshake or an autograph or whatever. And, you know, it's, it's kind of, it's kind of like those little moments, like uh, a film that your, your students won't be familiar with. It's a wonderful film, um, two films, The Way We Were and um, uh, my personal favorite Sidney Pollack film, um, uh, Three Days of the Condor. I mean, I had to pinch myself because one day we had like a 45 minute conversation about that movie and all the questions I wondered about, I had watched it probably six, seven times. Um, you know, uh, last year I, uh, I worked with Oliver Stone for 15 months. I'll never forget it. We didn't make the movie. We had problems with an actor, an actor's schedule, but we worked hand in hand for 15 minutes. And, you know, Oliver taught me not just film lessons, but real life lessons, mm -hmm. you know, and, you know, those are the kinds of things where I'm not, um, to say I'm not impressed sounds arrogant. I don't mean it that way. I'm not, like, I'm not a celebrity seeker. Right. I don't feel any need to be friends with celebrities unless they're genuine friends. Right. Like Kevin Bacon and Kira Sedgwick are really close friends. They're not celebrity friends, you know? Um, but there are those people that you are just in awe of, you know, um, watch when, when you get to watch, I think another thing that is really great about being an assistant on set and you're sitting there grumbling, going, you know, Oh, I gotta go make a fresh pot of coffee I got to do this, but look over your shoulder and you're getting a masterclass in acting from Anthony Hopkins or Tom Wilkinson or Bill Murray or Sissy Spacek, or, you know, you're, you're watching things that no one in the world will ever get to see, but you, because all they see is the actual take of film and how it's been edited into the film, but they weren't standing there during the other takes. They weren't standing there while the actor was rehearsing and the director was blocking each scene out. You know, you get to see that and by osmosis, just by being there, yeah. the, you don't even understand the knowledge that you're getting until years later. Yeah. I, you know, and I kind of can understand what that's like. Cause I've had that experience as I've done all these interviews for the show. And, you know, last week talked to one of my Olympic yeah. heroes and, and things like that. And, and I'm, I'm enjoying it in the moment, but I know I'm going to look back years from now and be like, wow, that was so valuable to hear these lessons. Just as we've heard today from you about grit and determination and working uh, without a network, I, I think that, you know, these are important lessons that we need to let sink in a little bit. 
Um, I've, I've taken a lot of your time, but I have one last question for you before I let you go. Um, you just started a production studio. Okay. And, and I'd, I'd love to hear about, you know, why did you want to start your own production studio? Um, what are kind of your hopes moving forward and, and what are you doing with that? Um, well, I, you know, it's been, a, a, I, I, I try to um, wear a lot of hats mm -hmm. um, because it keeps life interesting. And uh, this is not unique to Hollywood, but uh, in, in New York and LA, uh, people, if you say that you are this job position, that's how they see you. They can't see you any other way. I don't believe in that. I believe storytelling is storytelling. And so um, for me, I think it has always been important to keep in mind that my life should really influence my work rather than my work influencing my life. Like my life, like everyone's life story, every one of the students who's watching now, your life story matters. You may not think it's the most interesting. It doesn't have to involve a house burning down or an explosion. It could be as quiet as a, a family dinner, you know, but everybody has a story like DNA. It's not like anybody else's. And when you, uh, when you, when you come from that place as a storyteller and you really dig deep into who you are and how you became who you are, I promise you people will be interested. Yeah, that's fantastic. And in terms of the, production company to answer your question it's not a studio per se it's 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 a company and my aim was that i have made a lot of what uh, people would call you know prestige films um awards films not consciously seeking awards just what i've been drawn to but i also i love action movies i love i love not gory horror but scary horror I love comedy and I don't, because of the movies that I've made, I don't typically get to make that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. So I wanted to, I wanted to open a company where I could experiment and I could, I could do a comedy and I could do a horror movie and I could do a thriller, you know, oh. while continuing to make, uh, you know, adult dramas. Wow. Really cool. Um, well, it's been amazing talking to you today, fascinating to hear your story and, and really encouraging. I think this gives, you know, the kids watching this a lot of hope moving forward in this uncertain world that they can make something under themselves. It's a, a lot of every, every kid, every kid watching this can make a movie right now. Yeah. It's incredible. Well, thank and you. I love that. Yeah. Uh, Ross, thank you so much for your time today. Really appreciate it. Love having you on the show. It's great to meet you, Tyler, and nice to meet whoever is watching. Thank you so much for joining us today on Virtual School Assembly. If you enjoyed the episode, please subscribe on Apple Podcasts or Spotify or wherever else you listen to Virtual Assemblies. 
and leave us a rating and review so we know what you learned and took away from this virtual assembly. Videos and show notes are found at virtualschoolassembly.com. And if you're a school leader and you're looking for a speaker for virtual or traditional in-school assemblies, or if you're looking for some teacher training, I'd love to connect with you to see how I can help. You can check out my website at tylerchristiansen.com. Thanks. You are super duper. Let's go out and make the world a better place. Bye-bye.